Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You could use the shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, but it's easier to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Radio Havana Cuba, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, and France 24. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. Japan experienced a powerful earthquake, 7.6 on the Richter scale, which deformed the Earth's crust by 3 meters, collapsing many buildings and blocking many roads. An offline nuclear power plant sustained damage but reportedly is not releasing any of its spent radioactive material stored there. Russia and Ukraine have increased bombing in each other's countries. NHK Japan Now to the latest on the deadly earthquake that devastated parts of central Japan on New Year's Day. The meteorological agency has lifted all tsunami advisories after the quake struck the Sea of Japan coast. Japanese experts are shedding more light on the quake's devastating power. They say crustal deformations of up to three meters were observed in Ishikawa Prefecture's Wajima City. Officials with the Geospatial Information Authority of Japan used satellite data to analyze ground movements before and after the quake. They confirmed crustal movements throughout the Noto Peninsula. In western Wajima City, they found movements of up to about three meters. They say preliminary results of a GPS analysis indicate an observation point in Wajima City moved 1.3 meters. The officials say Anamizu Town shifted about one meter and Suzu City moved 80 centimeters. They say an observation point in Nanao City's Notojima district likely moved 60 centimeters northwest. There were similar effects in other regions. The officials say land may have shifted about 20 centimeters in parts of Toyama and Niigata and several centimeters in other areas hit by the quake. Workers at a nuclear power plant in Ishikawa Prefecture are reporting problems after the quake. They say a system to supply electricity to the facility is partially unusable but they insist the spent fuel is not in danger. The Shika plant's two reactors were taken offline long before the disaster. Hokuriku Electric Power Company officials say seismic activity measuring upper 5 on the Japanese scale of 0 to 7 was observed in a basement floor. They say the quake damaged pipes carrying oil for insulation and cooling of two transformers, and they're reporting oil leakages of 3,600 liters at the number one reactor and 3,500 liters at the number two reactor. But they also say electricity is coming from other means and emergency diesel generators have enough fuel for seven days.
The officials are reporting no problems with the system for cooling spent nuclear fuel. Russia and Ukraine have been ratcheting up their attacks against each other. Moscow's forces conducted a barrage of aerial strikes across Ukrainian territory on Friday. Kyiv described the assaults as the largest Russia has carried out since the invasion began in February of 2022. 39 people were initially confirmed dead after the blitz, but two additional bodies were found in the capital on Sunday. That brought the death toll up to 41. Russia also started pounding the eastern Ukrainian region of Kharkiv on Saturday. Missiles and unmanned aerial vehicles were used. The attack continued into Sunday. The region's governor says 28 people were wounded. Two children are reportedly among the victims. Ukraine's president issued a statement on Saturday. Volodymyr Zelensky reiterated his country's forces will continue to resist. He said the nation is preparing to produce more weapons in 2024. He also said Ukraine is working with partners to find solutions that are necessary for the soldiers and the entire country. Meanwhile, the governor of western Russia's Belgorod region posted a social media message on Sunday. He said 24 people had been killed in a Ukrainian bomb attack the previous day. Ukrainian officials have not officially claimed responsibility for the attack, uh, for the assault, but a Ukrainian media outlet quoted officials as saying the country's forces used missiles to attack military facilities in the city of Belgorod. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan on shortwave. They are now heard at 9 p.m. at 13735 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. NHK may be also found at most podcast sites, as is the shortwave report. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. In Mexico, the Zapatistas had a four-day celebration on the 30th anniversary of their uprising in 1994. At the 15th meeting of the BRICS group, they officially added six new countries to the roster and focused on using currencies other than the U.S. dollar. Israel has destroyed 70% of the homes and 200 historical sites in Gaza. The Israeli finance minister has called for Palestinians to leave Gaza so Israelis could make the desert bloom. Radio Havana, Cuba. In Mexico, the Zapatistas have been holding a four-day celebration to mark the 30th anniversary of the group's 1994 uprising when they declared war on the Mexican government and took five towns in Chiapas in southern Mexico. The uprising began on January 1, 1944, on the same day that NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, took effect, the Zapatista National Liberation Army warned that the North American Free Trade Agreement meant death to indigenous people. Supporters of the Zapatistas took part in this weekend's celebration and pressed the group for standing up to the Mexican government. In the midst of Western impediments to the world moving towards a new order, the 15th meeting of the BRICS group in Johannesburg took an important step towards this goal that's based on taking into account the interests of the greatest number of states. 
In August, the grouping took a pronounced geopolitical leap forward by expanding in a marked questioning of the UNI polarity marked by the United States, although it's not intended as a confrontation. Egypt, the United Arab Emirates, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Ethiopia, Argentina and the United Arab Emirates joined the BRICS founding group. In the South African meeting, the BRICS made progress in the construction of a multilateral space in financial and commercial terms based on a trend towards the use of their own currencies and the consequent reduction to the use of the dollar, Washington's favourite weapon for imposing policies and sanctions. Israel's relentless bombardment of Gaza for nearly three months has destroyed 70% of the homes in the besieged Palestinian enclave, according to the government media office. No further details were provided, but an earlier report said more than 200 heritage and archaeological sites were destroyed in the Israel bombardment, considered the most destructive in modern history. About 300,000 out of 439,000 homes have been destroyed in Israel attacks, a Wall Street Journal report said. Israel's finance minister, Bezlech Smutrich, has called for Palestinian residents of Gaza to leave the besieged enclave, making way for the Israeli who could make the desert boom. Smudrich, who has been excluded from Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's war cabinet and discussions of day-after arrangements in Gaza, made the comments while speaking to Israeli army radio on Sunday. He added that if the 2.3 million population were no longer there, growing up on the aspiration to destroy the state of Israel, Gaza would be seen differently in Israel. Most of Israeli society will say, why not? It's a nice place. Let's make the desert bloom. It doesn't come at anyone's expense. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu, but there's no podcast. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6165. At their website, radio8c.cu, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. As countries in the Global South suffer under intense heat, a leader in the Royal Meteorological Society talks about evidence of climate change in 2023. The Israeli Defense Minister says his country is facing a war on seven fronts while denying attacks in Syria, Lebanon, and Iran. These attacks are seen by some as a provocation to spread the war beyond Gaza and throughout the entire region. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Now, while people in northern latitudes may ring in the new year in relative wintry comfort, many in the southern hemisphere are suffering a stark reminder of a climate crisis. Intense heat during the Brazilian summer is just one indicator of another year of broken heat records and the urgency of working to fight climate change. I'm joined now by Liz Bentley, the Chief Executive at the Royal Meteorological Society. A pleasure to have you with us. Uh, in a year of climate extremes, what stands out most to you when you look back at 2023? 
Yeah, it's, it's the number of extremes that we're seeing, um, whether they're globally. So we, we saw the all-time highest global average temperature record broken in 2023. We're now on for 2023 to be the hottest year ever recorded. Um, but then you look at what those extreme heat events are, are causing. So uh, ex- uh, more extreme storms such as uh, Cyclone Freddy that happened earlier in 2023, one of the longest lasting and deadliest cyclones that we've ever seen seen on Earth. Uh, we see more flooding events um, because a warmer atmosphere holds more moisture and therefore when we get rainfall it, ha- it tends to be a lot a lot heavier, more deluges of rain leading to flooding as well. So it's the impact. And then you look at the marine heat wave as well, which is one of the reasons why we've seen more extreme heat temperatures uh, being uh, records being broken during 2023 because our oceans are much, much warmer now than they ever used to be. They're absorbing all of that heat and they have done for decades and that's now feeding back into the atmosphere and and actually causing those temperatures, those temperature records to be broken more often. There's changes happening when it comes to dealing with the climate emergency, but are policymakers reacting quickly enough, do you think? The, the science is there. The evidence is very clear that, uh, that as we continue to burn fossil fuels, that's gas, oil and coal, then we will continue to see our climate to change, those temperatures to increase and more extreme weather events to happen. So the science is very clear. And you said that like COP28, uh, we're now starting to see fossil fuel or transition away from fossil fuel now being embedded into the text. But it's taken a long time for us to get to that. And so uh, you know, governments and policymakers are now starting to recognise that this is important. But I do think countries, businesses, communities and us as individuals have recognised this now for many years and have started to make that transition away from fossil fuel already. So without waiting for policymakers and the governments to kind of step up and lead, I guess, on this, we're already starting to see, uh, as I say, businesses and and countries and communities actually starting to take a lead on this, uh, this transition away from fossil fuels. Israel's defense minister says his country is facing a war on as many as seven fronts. Yoav Gallant says Israeli forces are responding to many of them. On Monday, a suspected Israeli airstrike killed a senior Iranian general in Syria. Iranian state television interrupted regular broadcasting to report the strike and the high-ranking general's death. Security insiders say Syed Razi Musawi was responsible for coordinating the military alliance between Iran and Syria. Musawi was killed in a suburb of the capital Damascus, in a building allegedly used by Hezbollah, an Iran-backed militia that has been fighting Israel for decades. Israel neither confirms nor denies having killed Musawi. I do not comment on actions according to foreign publications, any action in the Middle East. Obviously, the IDF has a role to defend Israel's security interests. The Iranian broadcast ended with the logo of Iran's Revolutionary Guards with a voice threatening retaliation on Israel. Iran's supreme leader has promised a harsh response following two explosions in the country's south. The death toll has now been revised to at least 84. The blast happened near the grave of the top general Qasem Soleimani. Mourners had gathered for a ceremony marking four years since his assassination by the United States in a drone strike. The U.S. has denied carrying out this attack and says that it has seen no evidence of Israeli involvement. 
And let's get more. I am joined now by Middle East expert Daniel Gerlach. Daniel, welcome to the program. Iran is blaming the U.S. and Israel for these attacks, as we've heard, and, and the U.S. has dismissed that claim. These were targeted killings against senior Hamas members, or at least they appear to be, but they were in a stronghold, a Hezbollah stronghold in Beirut. Do you think that in particular is significant, and what could it say about the, the bigger picture here? I think it is uh, immensely significant. Uh, first of all, Israel has not denied any involvement, and that is uh, standard operational procedure for like diplomatic and security reasons. Um, why would Israel claim this if the entire world understands that obviously this was an Israeli operation? Uh, and uh, some Israeli politicians have, have also a bit violated the discipline of the government by, by congratulating the Israeli security forces. No, uh, I think it's, 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 it's fairly clear that this was an Israeli strike. It was remarkably precise. Um, I've heard Palestinians ask the question, like, why is it possible for the Israelis to strike Hamas operatives with such precision and at the same time, such high so-called collateral damages, civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip. So apparently it's possible to strike precisely on one side, but in Gaza that is not possible. I think we should at least take this uh, point of view into account when we assess the situation. Um, it is significant because what Israel demonstrates with this is twofold. One is uh, they want to um, substantiate their claim that they can reach Hamas operatives wherever they want. Uh, and that there's no safe place, in particular not in Lebanon. The other is that um, this happened under the eyes of Hezbollah, that Hamas must have been guests of Hezbollah, the Hamas leadership, otherwise they wouldn't have been uh, killed in uh, Dahia. Dahia is a suburb, you can call it, of Beirut, which is the stronghold of, of uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon. Um, it is also, and that's what it's been perceived as uh, by the Lebanese government, of course, a violation of Lebanese sovereignty and a, uh, a strike uh, to provoke Hezbollah, whereas um, the uh, spokesperson of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu two days ago said, it was an interesting statement, interesting interview, he said, well, this was not a strike against Lebanon, it was not a strike against Hezbollah, uh, but uh, though he said we do not claim that we did it, uh, but of course it is. And I think it's uh, it's it's an act of brinkmanship because Hezbollah mm. is not interested, as we could see in yesterday's uh, speech by Hassan Nasrallah, to, to launch a war with Israel. But of course, uh, it might feel that it's being forced into a military response, and this could lead to an escalation at the northern front. So the situation is very tense. The Middle East is a powder keg after the killing of a top Hamas official in Beirut. The strike against the militant group in Lebanon is raising fears that the war between Hamas and Israel could spread throughout the region. On Tuesday, Saleh Aruri, Hamas deputy political leader and six others died in a strike on an apartment building in a Beirut suburb. Lebanese officials and Hamas blamed the attack on Israel, and while the chief of Israel's Mossad intelligence service vowed on Wednesday to hunt down every Hamas member involved in the October 7th attack, the Israeli government won't confirm or deny it was behind the strike. Washington had a $5 million bounty on Aruri. At the same time, the Biden administration is, of course, keen to prevent regional escalation. And for more on this, I'm now joined by our Middle East analyst, Shani Rosanich. Israel has neither confirmed nor denied any involvement in all of this. But Benjamin Netanyahu and the head of the Mossad have said time and again, they will hunt down the people who were responsible for October 7th, no matter where they are. 
So why then are we not seeing a clearer statement by Israel on what we saw yesterday? Israel is, is according to many reports, being very active in Damascus and in other parts of Syria, in Lebanon, uh, sometimes also on Iranian grounds. Of course, nothing of that is ever confirmed because Israel is not, you know, because then it's a direct attack on, the, on another sovereign country here. Beirut is the capital of Lebanon. So they don't want to be clearly announcing we've been that bold. Actually, I like keeping it vague. This is a policy Israeli is sticking to for many, many years. When you talk about, for example, Israeli not admitting to the day that they have nuclear weapons, nuclear capabilities, something the world clearly sees as, you know, and Israel has, Israel is still refusing to do that. It's part of Israeli policy to sustain uh, some more of its defense, they feel, and deterrence by keeping it vague. That report and interviews were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. They are also available at most podcast sites. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report, or could help support this listener-funded program, like listeners in Ukiah, California, and Northumberland, UK did this week, PayPal contact information is available at my website, outfarpress.com, or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production of this show, which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations around the world. We will conclude with France 24. More on the bombings in Iran at a ceremony honoring slain Iranian general assassinated by the U.S. in Iraq four years ago. A brief history of the 2,300 targeted assassinations carried out by Israel over the past 50 years. South Africa is taking Israel to the International Court of Justice, alleging violations of the Genocide Convention. France 24. Well, let's start first with that developing story out of Iran. At least 50 people have been killed in blasts at a ceremony that was honoring a slain Iranian general. The event was marking the fourth anniversary of the death of Qasim Soleimani, who died in a U.S. drone strike in Iraq. In January 2020, Iranian officials calling it a terrorist attack. In the hours after the deadliest attack on Iranian soil since its 1979 Islamic Revolution, Iranian officials, including President Ibrahim Raisi, were quick to whip up the crowd and point the finger at Iran's arch enemies. I warned the Zionist regime, without doubt for this crime, and the other crimes you commit, you will pay a price that you'll regret. And you will see by the power of God that the one who has failed in this field and will leave this field more disgraced than today is the Zionist regime and the criminal America. The U.S. was just as quick to reject the allegations, which come amid fears of a widening of the Israel-Hamas conflict. The United States was not involved in any way, and any suggestion to the contrary is ridiculous. It's not in the interest of any country in the region. It's not in, any country, in the interest of any country in the world to see this conflict escalated any further than it already is. The two blasts, one of which can be heard in this video, 
took place minutes apart. Video taken near the blast site shows dozens of bodies lying on the ground. The explosions took place at a cemetery in the southern province of Kerman, where huge crowds had gathered at the tomb of General Qasem Soleimani to mark the anniversary of his death. The former leader of Iran's elite Quds Force was killed on January 3rd, four years ago, in a U.S. drone strike in Iraq. It was known as the Munich Massacre. In 1972, Palestinian militants carried out a terrorist attack at the Olympic Games, killing two Israeli athletes and taking nine others hostage, who were also later killed. It would prove a turning point for Israel's campaign to target its adversaries. The prime minister at the time, Golda Meir, authorized Mossad, the nation's intelligence and special ops agency, to find and kill Israel's enemies wherever they might be. A message echoed by the current head of Mossad. Today, we are in the throes of war. And Mossad, like 50 years ago, is committed to settling accounts with the murderers who raided southern Israel on October 7th with their planners and their envoys. It'll take time, as it took time after the Munich massacre, but we will put our hands on them wherever they are. In his book, Rise and Kill First, journalist Ronan Bergman estimates that since World War II, Israel has carried out the assassinations of some 2,300 people, more than any other country in the Western world. But there's no way to understand not just the history of Israeli intelligence, as interesting as it is, but understand the history of Israel and the history of the region without first getting the facts right on the history, the secret history of Israeli intelligence, which has, which has uh, a, a, I would say, a secret but profound impact on how events occurred and developed in the last 70 years. Former PLO leader Yasser Arafat survived several assassination attempts, but his right-hand man, military leader Abdu Jihad, was killed in Tunis in 1988, shot 52 times by a team of Israeli commandos. The Hamas military commander Salah Shahad was killed in an Israeli airstrike in 2002. And two years later, Sheikh Ahmed Yassin, leader of the Hamas radical Islamic movement, was also assassinated by Israel in Gaza. During the second intifada, Taysir al-Jabari carried out attacks on Israeli targets and was himself the target of assassination attempts by Israel at least twice before being killed by Israeli forces in 2022. Also last year, Israeli forces are believed to be behind the killing of Colonel Hassan Syed Hodai, who was shot dead outside of his home in Tehran. Determined to keep Iran from advancing its nuclear program, Mossad is also believed to be behind the killings of several scientists in Iran, including the former chief of its nuclear program, Mohsen Fakhrizadeh, killed in an ambush attack outside Tehran in 2020. South Africa is taking Israel to court. It has begun proceedings at the International Court of Justice alleging violations of the Genocide Convention in relation to Israeli attacks on Palestinians in a Gaza Strip. Israel rejected the charge. Luke Schrego is in Tel Aviv with more. South Africa has long been a critic of Israel's actions in Gaza, but its application to the International Court of Justice, the United Nations judicial organ that resolves conflicts between states, takes things to another level. 
Pretoria's accused Israel of acts genocidal in character, committed with intent to destroy Palestinians in Gaza, and asking the court for an interim order for Israel to suspend its military offensive in the Palestinian enclave. The Israeli government reacted in the strongest terms, with the foreign ministry expressing disgust and dismissing the 84-page claim, in turn accusing South Africa of cooperating with Hamas. It went on to add that it wasn't at war with the Palestinian people and was targeting the militant group in Gaza. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They're also available at most podcast sites. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 26 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I'm recuperating from spinal surgery, I'm staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.